Standard Issue for all women. Ahoy mateys and welcome aboard episode 3 of the Standard Issue podcast. I'm Mickey Noonan and I once got stuck up a tree and had to be rescued by firefighters. I was 34 years old. I wasn't, I was 10. I'm joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy and my mother frequently confuses narcolepsy and necrophilia, which is only really a problem when she tells people she thinks I have it. And I'm Jen Offord. Both my parents were brought up as Quakers, but didn't actually meet through the Quakerhood. Later on, I'm chatting to bona fide Bobby Dazzler and guilty feminist Deborah Francis-White. Kiri Pritchard-McLean will be advising us on what and what not to put in our mouths at festivals. And I'll be talking to England cricket all-rounder Jenny Gunn ahead of the World Cup. Ashley Davis navigates the tricksy waters of public displays of affection and generally just greeting someone in the UK. And I do Disney's Cinderella. But first, the reign of chaos continues. It's time for The Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to The Bush Telegraph. Cresting the waves in a perfect storm of news like some sort of lovable wisecracking dinghy in the Pixar film. Wisecracks aside for a moment, as we remember those affected by the inferno at Grenfell Tower in London. Those who lost their lives, their families, their homes, lost everything. At the time of recording, the number of fatalities is unknown, but around 58 and expected to rise. It was a tragedy that needn't have happened. Money came before people's lives. Politicians ignored warnings on fire safety. It has shone a hard light on the disgraceful state of social housing in the UK. It needs to change. It's a scandal that really highlights the impact on our communities of the loss of local newspapers, which for so long acted as watchdogs of local government. Meanwhile, many of our national press use the tragedy as an excuse to push their own agendas and behave like, well, cunts. Massive respect is due to Danny Cotton, Commissioner of the London Fire Brigade, for showing the sort of leadership and empathy that Theresa May was so badly lacking. That's right, the Prime Minister, or at least that's what we think she is since she's, at the time of recording, still not managed to form a majority government with a band of merry mingebags, the DUP, failed to learn from the mistakes of her campaign trail as she visited the West London site. Even the Queen managed to out-humane teabag as her madge met with those affected by the blaze as well as members of frontline services who'd been part of the ongoing search operation, a move the Prime Minister initially resisted due to security concerns. I mean, I'm not nailing my colours to the mast or anything, but May is an absolute fucking disgrace, and she needs to go. Meanwhile, People's Princess Jeremy Corbyn once again shot up in the public's estimations as he responded to events like, well, a human? The Daily Express might have something to say about you taking that moniker, Jen. Yeah, well, maybe, but, you know, fuck them and fuck their dads. Later in the week, it was announced that Jez's hashtag Grind for Corbyn campaign was still going strong as he was set to dust off his best elbow patch tweed jacket and take to the stage at Glastonbury to address his adoring young public and introduce political hip-hop duo Run the Jewels. But why not your avid supporter JME and his brother Skepta's collective Boy Better Know? Too many man? Joe Swinson became the front-runner in the Lib Dem leadership race after Tim Farron quit to spend more time with Jesus. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not going to compromise his Christianity, <laughs> which is one for the Destiny's Child fans out there. Interesting with Farron, a white male MP quits his post because it's not in line with his <clears throat> Christian beliefs, and he's seen by some as a martyr for his faith. Oh, if you're in any doubt, no, no he's not. But when a black female MP recently took a bit of time out for health reasons, she was pilloried as an incompetent. Maybe it's because Tim Tim's only sticking to his Bible. I, I mean, the Bible. 
if it's written down in there, it must be true, right? So, gays and abortion bad, menstruating women dirty, and if you mock a bald man, you'll be killed by bears. Smashing. I'm glad we sorted that out. Rumours that Farron was last seen going to trash his local church because it was having a bring and buy sale are yet to be confirmed. At the weekend, Swinson announced she wouldn't be standing after all, which means the pool of potential candidates is smaller still. Technically, any of the party's MPs have a 1 in 11 chance of becoming leader, although technically there's also a 1 in 2 chance that when Trump saves my daughter, he's talking about Tiffany. Also in Gilead, sorry, America, Elfeard Attorney General and Evergreen bigot Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III made the words, I don't recall the new yes when he gave testimony in front of a select committee investigating Russian involvement in the 2016 election. Didn't Senator John McCain give evidence? I don't recall. But I can say that Senator John McCain was so keen to prove that he hadn't been speaking in tongues when he questioned Jack Comey, or whoever it was that he thought he was talking to, that he interrupted fellow Senator Kamala Harris. Don't worry, mate. Everybody does it. Meanwhile, a beacon of hope, a glimmer of light for our sisters in Ireland. The Taoiseach has announced a referendum on abortion to repeal the 8th next year. While recent weeks have suggested that bolstering your numbers with a group of Irish people is a bad thing, we can only hope that this referendum will see Irish expats returning in huge numbers to vote, as they did for the referendum on gay marriage. And in other news, cinema goers at a women-only screening of Wonder Woman in Belgium were given batshit sexist goodie bags. The pink bag, ofs, contained a scourer, dish sponge, a pamphlet for slimming pills, and bafflingly, a bag of Uncle Ben's microwavable rice. It could only have been worse if it had included a dirty nappy, a list of people who have better tits than you, and a Jim Davidson DVD. <laughs> it reminds me of the welcome bags we got at university, which if you were a man meant you got a packet of condoms, and if you were a woman meant you got a rape alarm. I'm not sure what that says about safe sex in the 90s, but there you have it. That was the Bush Telegraph. More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. And now it's that time where we poke around in the murky depths of institutionalised sexism. This week, venture capitalist David Bonderman resigned from the board of directors at Uber after being recorded interrupting a woman to make a sexist joke in a meeting about sexism. Ironically, it was all part of a bid to clean up the company's culture following allegations of sexual harassment and gender discrimination. While telling male colleagues that a company with one woman on the board is more likely to go on to attract other women, Bonderman made a hilarious gag about how much women yammer on. He later apologised for his, and I quote, careless, inappropriate and inexcusable comments, generously accepting perhaps it would be best to be singing from the same hymn sheet as his company. The new hymn sheet, that is, as in the one where your boss doesn't try to fuck you in the stationery cupboard. If I'm completely honest, I'm kind of sad that he went, because I really wanted to see what he did at the meeting about not stapling your cock to a table. (laughs) And if you stumble across a sexist story you'd like us to bang on about like all those women on boards, do get in touch. You can send us your suggestions to mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com or via Twitter at standardissueuk or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Welcome to the first in our series of podcast exchanges. I'm with Deborah Francis-White, comedian, broadcaster and founder of the Guilty Feminist podcast for anyone who's ever felt they might be a bit shit at this feminism malarkey. Hello there, Deborah. Have you been up to anything particularly feminist today? Oh, I, it's 
it's hard to call it a feminist act. I'm going to uh, America tomorrow, so I wanted a quick hair zhuzh. Um, but this is a bit of an I'm a feminist but. For anyone who listens to the podcast, they'll know that I do this. I'm a feminist but. <laughs> Although this week um, I, I went and talked to some teenage boys in an inner city school about feminism, um, what I'm most proud of is that I've managed to uh, wax, exfoliate and fake tan in the right order before going to LA because that's not easy gang it really is not I I feel like I'm the fourth bridge that I start at one end with all the all the the zhuzhing grooming things that I don't have to do but I like to do in the summer I start at one end and I think oh it's all just done now and then I go oh just as I've done the pedicure my eyebrows grow back in and I'm just going I've got to start all over again now and here's the thing if you've just had a spray tan and then you discover you need your eyebrows done then you're left with great big white strips above your eyes because they rip off the fake tan. So you've got to be careful about the order. And I'm so happy to tell you, Mickey, I've got this in exactly the right order. You are looking nicely judged. Thank you. It's all frivolous and it's all <laughs> unnecessary. But sometimes in the summer, it's nice to just feel a bit smooth. You look so smooth that oh. you could probably slide up a hill. I really, <laughs> I feel like good. Tell us about The Guilty Feminist. What and why is it? It's a podcast and it's a podcast about our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities that undermine those goals. So it's about our paradoxes. I have, I say it on every episode (laughs) and it's a lovely way to sum it up. It's about our paradoxes, basically. I, you know, more than anything, I want gender equality. But as a close second, I do want to look good sitting down naked. And I, I know that's not a noble goal. It's irrelevant. <laughs> I've been seduced by the patriarchy and there's stupid posters at the bus stop telling me I've got to look a certain way. Evidently, that's bullshit. Evidently, I've just been sold a lie. But I exist in that paradoxical state because I have been raised by the patriarchy. Yeah. So it's, it's a podcast about those feelings that we get where one day we'll think oh god I'm really on top of this feminist stuff I stood up to that guy who was sexually harassing me at work and making those weird comments and I feel such a feminist but then I got home felt a bit lonely and texted that toxic ex-boyfriend because I felt a bit and then thought oh acknowledging the two steps forward and the one step back and saying just it just because I don't behave every day in the maximum possible Uh, feminist light doesn't mean it's not worth trying it doesn't mean it's not worth challenging ourselves and it's okay I'm just saying a lot of us have got complicated feelings about it and there's a lot of comedy in it and also a lot of heart and vulnerability Mm -hmm. that can be explored with other women and that's why I love the show so much was there anything in particular that triggered starting the Guilty Feminist podcast? Yeah, well, I started it with Sophie Hagen and she and I would have lunch and we would talk about these things and uh, we just thought, you know, well, we're both comedians, so it's sort of almost, it's almost councils only that that has to be a podcast. <laughs> Two comedians can't continually have lunch and talk about anything without it becoming a podcast now. Can It was 20, you know, it was 20, end 2015 at that point. Just seemed to be mandatory. I was very clear I wanted to do it with an audience because I thought as comedians we'd be funnier with an audience because yeah. you kind of reach for the you, the punctuation of the laugh as Sarah mm-hmm. Pascoe calls it the first time we ever did it we probably did it to 30 people in a basement fringe theatre but we felt like the energy from the audience was unique Soph left uh, uh, September last year having done about nine ten no, nine, nine or ten months on the show she left to do another podcast called Made of Human and yeah. uh, which is also great and to pursue you know touring and other other things 
and she felt she was in a slightly different place and I really wanted to continue it because I felt it was sort of very much this was like my the, the glove I'd been looking for that fit yeah. so perfectly at that point I started doing it with different co-hosts that's been a very exciting second chapter like a reboot I learn things all the time I respond differently to these different voices so that's been a really exciting thing to get to do because we've now got two chairs to fill and sometimes yeah. even three or more sometimes we have two guests or three guests on a, on a panel and so we've been able to really go to new places which has just been amazing well I was going to ask you actually you must have learned so much so what have you learned I have totally changed as a feminist yeah oh my god yeah I'm much braver in what I do I'm much bolder in what I do and I feel like I've got an army with me now and I think to some extent that's the success of the podcast is not just that they're hearing that the it's not just that the listeners are hearing comedians talk about this they're hearing the audience laugh and clap and go yeah and so they're feeling like there's a tribe and there's an army so if I step up to the plate there's loads of women around me who feel this way and maybe I can't see them on the bus but I know they're there because I hear them in the audience at the Guilty Feminist I'm sure that's what it is why people write in all the time saying because of this podcast I said I decided to say no or because of this podcast I decided to say yes they're the two sorts of emails we get mm -hmm. either I stood up and I said here and no further to somebody who's been treating me in a way that's been unfair and, and, and it's clearly an issue of sexism and misogyny or I thought, I'm, why am I apologising and saying, oh, I couldn't possibly do a PhD. That's not for people like me. It is for people like me. I'm brilliant. And people sort of stepping forward and saying, I applied for the funding. I went and changed my career. I started writing the book. I started a feminist theatre company. And that's that's been the most rewarding thing. In terms of myself, I think <sighs> lately I've started doing bigger challenges again for the show. The first ever show was about nudity. And I, my challenge was to go and pose naked for a life drawing class. Oh, yeah. Mickey, I am not a naked person. So you're, more you're, people, She's lying. She's sat here absolutely fully nude. I, okay, today it's very hot. <laughs> uh, but I'm not... I think more people saw me in that room naked than have, pre, that have previously ever seen me naked in my life. Um, it was a big challenge. Yeah. But I said I'd do it for a podcast. And I went in and... They, I will never forget it. They said, uh, come to this room. It's across from Holloway Prison. Bring a robe. I thought, that's not the most relaxing <laughs> thing anyone's ever heard. But I went in. They said, go in there, get your robe on, come out. And they just said, take your robe off in front of all these people. And there was another model there who was um, a, you know, 20 and, you know, uh, seemed very svelte to me. And I thought, oh, God, now I'm going to have to stand next to this, you know, hot 20-year-old with this amazing figure. But it was socially awkward to say, no, I'm leaving now. So I just did it. Yeah. And actually, I found it incredibly empowering. When I was doing power poses, if I, I they asked me to lie down, um, this woman dragged a mattress over and just said, recline. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, the only option I've got here is the full Kate Winslet. Paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. Yeah. And I just lay on my back, put my hands behind my head, which is wonderful for the breast perk. Um, little tip for you I felt fantastic because you've got to hold that for 20 minutes and I was absolutely dead still for 20 minutes because you can't move once someone started drawing and maybe it wasn't 20 minutes maybe it was 10 but it was it was a long time and if you stay in a power pose for a long time you start to feel powerful and I remember feeling like they're the ones hiding behind their clothes I felt like an empress being painted by you know b b by people who were somehow 
less high status than me. I mean, that was that was the extraordinary. And then they asked me to sit down, and again, sitting down naked. I mean, that's it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard. So I sort of leant forward and covered my tummy and my breast. And then that was like a shame pose. It was like I don't want you to see me naked, but you are. And then that felt awful. More vulnerable. More vulnerable than just going, here I am. Yeah. So I've learnt things like that. And also, when I saw the drawings at the end, they'd, drawn, they'd all drawn me the same size as the svelte 20-year-old. And at first I thought, the first time I saw a picture, I thought, well, this woman's clearly really bad at perspective. <laughs> and then I saw more and more drawings, and we were the same size. And I just thought, well, maybe it's me that's bad at perspective, and maybe I've decided I'm much bigger than this mm-hmm. this person. And no pejorative on being big or small or any of those things. But it is just interesting that your perception about yourself is not that of everybody else. I've really discovered lately that there's so much more self-growth and material for the show in really just stumping up and going, do a good challenge, do a proper challenge, really, really go there. So I went into an inner city school and talked about feminism to teenage boys, which I mentioned earlier. I went pole dancing to see what it was like to be the odd one out. I just wanted to do something that was way out of my comfort zone. Okay. And uh, everybody else there was 17 and was wearing like a crop top and, and hot pants. And they were clearly dancers who were learning to pole dance. I am, listeners, if you don't know me, not a dancer. Uh, and yeah, I was way out of my element. But do you know what I discovered? And this has not come out on the podcast yet. Um, I think it's coming out maybe next Monday. But I discovered that the more I just pretended I was a pole dancer, the more I threw myself into it. This is actually the trick I used. You know Miss Congeniality? Of course. And you know Sister Act, those kind of films. Where the bad guys are coming and you just have, you've got the costume and you've just got to pretend to be that thing. And if you don't pretend to be that thing, the bad guys are going to shoot you. I got to the point with this routine where there were bits that everyone else was doing I just couldn't do. It was like literally slide down a pole backwards with your ankles hold, uh, holding the pole. I mean, it was such extraordinary things. And I was, it was a beginner's class, but they were just... I was just more of a beginner than they were. <laughs> so I, I'd have to sort of go, I can't do that bit, and then I'll, ch- I'll catch up on this bit. And then I thought, I wasn't enjoying it. I felt embarrassed and I felt stupid. And I just thought, OK, I'm going to miss congeniality this shit. I'm going to pretend I'm... I'm in a pole dancing club. The bad guys are coming. I've been pushed into the costume and I've been pushed out onto the stage. And unless I look like a credible pole dancer, I'm going to be killed. So I don't have to do what they're doing, because I clearly can't, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I've got to do something a pole dancer would do. So Because they're not looking at it going, are you doing the right steps? What they're doing is, are you a pole dancer? Yeah. So I thought, I'm just going to do something that's like what I reckon a pole dancer would do. So at that point, she put the song on and said, right, we're going to take it from the top. And I was just like, yeah. And I just totally, whenever they was, and, and she kept looking at me and going, if, if, any, if I couldn't do something, she'd just go, just do the fireman's pole again. I'd never done the fireman's pole. Fireman's pole is just, you just spin around. I'd never done it. Just do that again. I was like, it's just never happened once. So I don't think it's <laughs> going to happen this time. So in this one, she wasn't giving anyone instructions. We were all just going for it. And I just thought, if I can't do the thing, I'll do just some sexy writhing and I'll just be like, you know, because pole dancing also is a proper athletic sport. I don't mean to minimise it. I mean, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's, and, it, and some people do it as an, athletic, as, as an athletic sport. Some people do it in clubs where there are pole dancers and those things are different. And I know that, but there was a feel to this that it was like, it was definitely the way we were being taught. It was, there was a sort of, you know, 
sex appeal high heel element to it so I was like I'm just going to do that so I really threw myself into it and I just thought there's a sniper if he doesn't believe you're a pole dancer you're going to get killed and I really enjoyed it and you know what I just jumped at the pole at one point and I did the fireman's pole and I just could do it now I may have pulled a very small muscle but it seems (laughs) to have healed in the main facing a fear being larger than yourself doing something that scares you and then going I did that I am I hear me roar there is a real value in it you've got to put it in the soul and in the body and in the voice and in the heart and in the arms and the legs feminism isn't just for your head I wanted you to carry on naming body parts vagina well done (laughs) that's it we're done here I've got to say I've noticed you've started having blokes on Mickey you're not wrong I'm not wrong I know what one looks like and and I've seen some of them and well okay so I'll tell you the blokes that we've had on and we're going to have on and why Sarah Pascoe and I were talking about uh, female archetypes and things like you know that your mum culture yeah like oh I shagged your mum ha 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 what a joke because no one wants their mum to be shagged and she'd seen David Baddiel's show, My Family, Not the Sitcom, which is partly about his father's dementia and, part, dementia and partly about his mother's promiscuity, with which he is absolutely 100% fine. Yeah. He doesn't comment on it one way or the other. He, I mean, he uses it as material like a comedian does, but he doesn't go, oh, my mom was having sex with someone who wasn't my dad. And, you know, even he talks about hearing his parents have sex or hearing his mother masturbate. And... But it's not like ick. It's more like she, and she, because she's a human being. So it's more... He finds comedy and story in it, but it's not mocking the idea of his mother having a sexuality. And it's, right, it's really unusual to hear that, to hear a man not find his mother's sexuality embarrassing. So we were talking about this idea. And so when she said, what about David Baddiel as a guest? I was like, what, the football's coming home guy on The Guilty Feminist? I don't think so. She was like, no, no, go and see a show. So I went to see a show. She was absolutely right. And so he came on and we had a really fun time with him. And then Jonathan Regan is an amazing comedian. He's, he does a podcast called An Irishman Abroad. He's just given a kidney to his brother and he is doing a show called Organ Freeman. And he's brilliant. And he's been such a huge fan of the, of the Guilty Feminist for so long. He always sends me these really encouraging messages and says how important he thinks it is and that he listens and his wife listens. And one day I was chatting to Jarleth and he said, would you ever have guys on? And I said, who are you thinking? And he made some suggestions. And I said, what about you? I said, what would you talk about if you came on? And he said, raising my son as a feminist. And I was like, you are booked, my friend. Because for a man to take responsibility for that and for us as the guilty feminist to say, this feminism is not just for, for women and the problem of solving sexism in the world is not a female one. So Jarlath saying that made my heart sing. And I just had the most... Honestly, it's one of my favourites that I've ever done. It's out at the moment. It's episode 51, I think. It's called Raising Feminist Boys. Where can we find more information on the Guilty Feminist podcast? Guiltyfeminist.com. July 3rd will be the Intrepid Women Show, and that's at King's Place in London. But you can listen to all of the episodes for free, no matter where you live, at home, um, on guiltyfeminist.com, and that will lead you to, you know, there are various places you can get them, iTunes and other portals but uh, just go to guiltyfeminist.com and the most recent episode with Jarlath Regan and Sindhu V about raising feminist boys is right there for you awesome and the Twitter handle is at guiltfempod at guiltfempod hello Standard Edition magazine uh, it's me Kira Pritchard-McLean um, 
should I say I'm a stand-up comedian? I've said it now, aren't I? Stand-up comedian, Kira Pritchard-McLean. Um, now, I'm going to give you a guide to surviving festivals. I do an awful lot of festivals, so think of me as your sort of Mary Poppins for all this stuff, but instead of a carpet bag with a lamp in, I've got some Barocca and some baby wipes in there. So this is my guide to surviving festivals. This year, I am doing Latitude Festival. I've done Download Festival. I'm doing Leeds Festival. Um, basically, anywhere that will have me uh, get drunk for a weekend, I will turn up and do that. That includes weddings, so do bear that in mind. So this is my guide to surviving a festival. Um, number one, I'm going to go straight in there. Don't poop. Um, it's the toilets. It's the toilets. I'm not really into handing over £200 of my money to surrender my human rights for the weekend. So I just sort of like to opt out of it all. I don't really want to smell other people's arse hangovers, so I just don't get involved. It's not easy not to shit for a whole weekend, but there are methods. Um, my tips are very few solids and sort of follow every side you have up with an Imodium chaser. Um, if you're going to go for solids, you need to keep it light. Um, so like marshmallows uh, or apples, not real food, basically. Um, which now apples aren't. They don't keep the doctor away. They're not even real food, guys. Um, number two, you need to really get into the spirit of it. And so my tip for this is dress like no one's watching. It's a really good excuse to wear the clothes that you're not brave enough to wear the rest of the year. And just all at the same time. You know, like when you're eight years old and you don't dress by what is appropriate for the day. You just put all your favourite things on. Paracycling shorts, Christmas jumper, all that kind of stuff. Do that. Wear whatever you want as a festival. Everyone else is. Don't wear fairy wings, obviously. Because they reek of investment banker letting what's left of his hair down for the weekend. So don't be that guy. Number three. You need to remember to eat. Now... Obviously, you don't eat enough to actually poop, but the food festivals now is just really nice, nicer than the last three weddings that I've been to. So indulge yourself. Have a little bit of falafel here and there to keep you tidied over, but obviously you're not enough to sober up. But you're a baby. You're not. You're not a baby. You need to feed yourself, okay? Look after yourself over the weekend. Otherwise, you won't make it past Friday. Fourth tip. See stuff. Festivals are incredible now, especially stuff like Latitude. They program such a wealth of stuff. And I'm a bugger for spending more time at the bar and food stalls than anywhere else. But so many of these festivals have a plethora of stuff to see and do. And you end up finding plays that you love, bands that will epitomise the summer. And if you're lucky, a stranger to bang. Which, let's face it, is why I'm there. I'm only ever at a festival to catch a D. Um, so that leads me nicely on to number five, sex. Bang around. It's what festivals are for and the music, blah, 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 blah. But you've got to know the system if you're going to do this. You will have a limited window with this stuff. I reckon the cutoff point is like 4am on Sunday morning, right? You can bang people on a Friday. Sure, it's the best time. You can bang people on a Saturday. I absolutely recommend it. But not past 4am Sunday morning. No one is taking care of themselves at these events. What I'm trying to say is, don't be sucking a Sunday dick. Use your window wisely. Crack on Friday and Saturday. Have a blast. But don't risk mopping up what's left some Sunday. It won't be or smell very pretty. So there you go. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's seriously bad. I, I don't think I can emphasise this enough. I paid £300 for a crown from the NHS dentist. And I nearly lost it to a Sunday dick one year. So learn from my mistakes, people. Oh, incidentally, some people have permanent Sunday dicks. They're usually wearing velvet jackets, so do bear that in mind. But I hope you enjoy your festivals and you'll definitely have a great time if you take my very wise, very well thought through advice. Oh yeah, and obviously bonus point is uh, bring baby wipes. Hello there, 
I'm Ashley Davis and this is my Awkward Person's Guide to Public Displays of Affection, PDAs. On my way to work a few years ago, I saw a puddle of puke right next to a walnut whip of human poop, right next to a used condom outside a cafe. It was horrible to look at, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. The worst thing I've ever seen was when the late David Guest snogged poor Liza Minnelli on their wedding day. Do you remember that? He did a wide mouth turbo suck like a faulty tight-faced Dyson, all to show the world his deep sexual love for his female wife. I'm quite relaxed about my own involvement in romantic PDAs, partly because my sweetheart and I have been together for a long time, so our public physical expressions of love are no more intimate than what you might do with a Labrador, but largely because I've tricked him into believing that he's contractually obliged not to duck when I try to kiss him. But I do find non-romantic PDAs very tricky. There's just so much that can go wrong. So I've made a little guide to PDAs looking at why, in the wrong hands, they can be a dreadful business. Okay, number one, the high five. Oofed, but I hate them. I would honestly rather you came at me in a rage with a pair of rickety nunchucks than a high five. Even absolute boy Jeremy Corbyn can't do it properly unless he meant to pat Emily Thornbury in the boobles the other day. And it's not just the fact that so much can go wrong with high fives. It's more that if somebody presents you with their palm up at shoulder height, all smiles and whoop face, you're the one who looks like an arsehole if you don't reciprocate. I should add that I'm quite happy to high five small children because they seem to be heavily into that shit. But I would rather they shook hands with me, to be honest. I really, really like shaking hands. You know where you are with a handshake, even a flaccid, damp one. Okay, number two is the awkward social kiss. It often takes me by surprise when people I don't know very well lean in to transfer their DNA onto my face. When I first moved to Scotland, I didn't realise that if you're working on New Year's Day, most people go around and kiss or shake hands with all their colleagues. If you're a bloke, the blokes shake your hand, and if you're a woman, they kiss you. Even when I offered my hand to perfectly nice colleagues, they'd pull you in for a kiss. It wasn't aggressive or creepy or anything. It's hardly in the same realms as Donald Trump's fucked up alpha toolbox handshake. But again, it's one of those situations in which you're the one who looks like a prick if you pull away. Once, knowing that I was out of my depth on the social kissing front... I went through a phase of overcompensating, trying to act like I was comfortable with it. When a colleague who I didn't know all that well came back to work after a long illness, I went for the poor man with my kissing mouth. He was as shocked as I was by my lunch, and he turned his head in panic, and I ended up putting my lips right on the surgery scar on his neck. The poor bastard. He's probably still wondering if I fancy myself as having magical healing powers. Number three is any kind of sloppy, shit-faced snogging or late-night public transport because it just gives me the book, especially if you can hear it and especially if you can just tell they're going to regret it in the morning or half an hour. Number four, getting fingered at the disco. Oui, doit-être dans la discothèque. I shan't dwell on this other than to say how very strange it is that so many people's first sexual experience takes place in such public settings. See also heavy petting at the local swimming pool and frottage at the bus stop. Number five, I like this one. 
It's the tap, tap on your back at the end of a hug that indicates that this moment of intimacy has run its course. It's like a gentle version of a wrestler thumping the ground in submission. Number six is the I own this object display, which is to be discouraged. It's usually performed by straight blokes draping one arm over their female partner's shoulder, and it's never comfortable for the drapee. It's just a few evolutionary steps away from weeing in your girlfriend's handbag or rubbing your musk sacks on her curtains. There's also a version of this that some women do when they fear that somebody else is after their bloke. Sometimes it involves a rather exaggerated show of chemistry or tangy kisses and ha 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 ha, we have so much fun and awesome sex together. Look, don't even try it. Number seven. I've left this one to the end because it is properly my favourite. It's holding hands. How nice is it the first time you touch hands with somebody you really fancy? Or that moment before you think you're about to touch hands? That's even better. And when you've known each other for a long time, a little squeeze can indicate all kinds of things when you're in company and can't say what you really feel. You know, things like, you have a bogey, or... This is the last Christmas we are ever spending with your family. And how amazing is it when a small child or a very old person reaches for your hand? My heart goes all melty when I see old folks holding hands. It makes you think they must be lovely people, even though you never know. They could be bound by their furious hatred of foreigners and have been together ever since he first fingered her at the Enoch Powell fundraiser disco. Right, that's me done for now. Love and handshakes. Uh, Question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Millican and you're listening to Sarah Millican's Question Time. Uh, I'm recording this in the house and you might hear the clock ticking uh, and my belly rumbling because it's early and you won't hear the dog farting but you might smell him farting because this is pre-walk so he's sort of ramping up ready and ready to go for want of a better phrase the burning question i was asked this week was on twitter and it was from annabelle ambrose thank you annabelle and the question was crumpets or muffins good question now i'm assuming you mean english muffins as opposed to like blueberry muffins because blueberry muffins oh i don't know they might you see i would say they might beat crumpets or english muffins but the problem with muffins uh, sweet muffins is that I find them hard to eat uh, correction I find them hard to eat politely so I end up like breaking bits off and shoving it in my gob where what I really want to do is just kind of trough it uh, I don't know if, is that a verb I don't know um, but if it was English muffins versus crumpets then crumpets would win because I think crumpets see an English muffin you're just putting butter on that aren't you is that all you're putting on that's all I'd put on, where crumpets would get butter and probably some golden syrup, or treacle, as we used to call it. Uh, at, mm, oh, oh, I shouldn't have done this when I was hungry. This is a really bad idea. And also, uh, spoiler guys, I can't have either, because they both give me the shits these days. This is rubbish. Uh, but I have decided, only in the last week, it's really weird that this question came in, that uh, my death row meal would just be loads of gluten <laughs> in its various forms. Thanks for the question. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women. 
You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. I have got here Jenny Gunn, who plays for England's women's cricket team. She is just about to go into the World Cup with the England cricket team. She has very kindly agreed to have a chat with us about the World Cup and about her career. I'm obviously delighted to have Jenny here because she is particularly name appropriate in this section of the podcast. So Jenny, just to start off, I just wanted to ask about how you got into cricket in the first place. I come from a very sporting family. My dad played professional football. Years ago, you could play football in the, the winter and cricket in the summer, which he did. And we'd often go down and, and watch my dad. I've got an older sister and a younger brother, so we'd always just play that on the sideline. And then like, followed his footsteps in football, but then they um, required a spare fielder, really, one day. So I thought, OK, I'll give it a go. My dad protected me, put me on the, on the boundary away from the hard ball. <laughs> yeah. and just kind of fell in love with it there and... Even I got quite a lot of stick that your arm's only good for a handbag, but I think that just stirred me on a bit more. And, and when you do get uh, mm. a mail out, I think it just it didn't want me to actually see what this cricket was all about and go from there, really. So how old were you when you when you had that first experience? Probably about 12, 13. And you were, you were quite sporty anyway? Oh, yeah, I think literally me, my brother and sister, tried every sport possible. I mean, I even was in a pink tutu at one point trying to follow my sister in ballet, but definitely two left feet. <laughs> so your dad was a footballer. How important an influence was that on um, you? I think it was massive, really, to help me get to the top because even though my family never pushed me in any direction, they just wanted me to be happy. Having and being around people who played at high-level sport, I think you do pick up on how they train and the competition, and, and I think that has helped me get to where I want to be and also playing in a male dominant sport as a youngster mm. I had to prove myself I could could do it Did it take a long time for you to be accepted? I think still now we're probably still fighting it you will always come across people who think women's sport isn't very good it's not exciting but I think with everything that women are doing at the moment they're mm. being very successful in sport and I think it's going in the right direction you're never going to be as quick or powerful as men, but they can hold their own in a like, 50-50 competition. When I first came in, we were just got a little bit of money from Sport England, yeah. um, a lottery funding. Mm. And then now, for the last two and a half years, we've been made professional. And, and it's been just a massive change, but it's all the people who've gone before us and the likes of Rachel Hayes Flint, who's no longer with us anymore. But mm. the work she's done with not just cricket, through all sports, they've pushed to go into the uh, professional era mm. and it, it has it's changed massively and, and it's just going on from strength to strength and how important is that do you think the, the professional aspect of it to the development of the sport for women it's massive because before when, like, probably five six years ago I was working coaching four days a week and just trying to like kind of stay fit um, and sit my training in when I can on the other day and it's just if you want to get to the top in the world you just I think ECB realise this can't happen we want to be number one in the world and win World Cup so um, they have made us go full time or we're in every single day doing mm. something and actually it's nice that they recognise that women's sport is it is going ahead and, and it's nice that when I do go and give talks now before I said oh yeah come on like cricket it's going the right way but then girls or other people are like, well, no, I need to get a different career, whereas now you can have a career in cricket, so we yeah. can push that, that way a little bit more. We have a 2020 Super League now, so mm-hmm. there's teams all over the country, and, and it's only fixed at the moment, but it worked really well last year. We had decent crowds, so 
but it just shows that people want to watch, watch 2020 cricket. It's more exciting and, mm. and uh, it's really a family event. I've been to the 2020 a couple of times and it is, uh, it's, it's a good laugh, uh, even if you, yeah, exactly. even if you yeah, can't that's, necessarily that's you follow it. You already have two World Cup winners' medals. Yeah, 150 over and 120. Mark Robertson, our new coach, he's not so new anymore, but he's been in, in post about a year and a half now, and I think we're just showing the signs of, of the um, kind of a new era, really, what he's brought in, where we are a lot fitter, and I think that just helps our, our cricket that we can bowl. We can actually hold our skill for a lot longer, and we've got some really exciting youngsters a good balance of say experience rather than older players it's, it is an exciting time to be involved in England women's cricket and are there any other dark horses to watch out for in the competition like who do you think your main competitors will be well Australia whenever they tour anywhere um, they're, they're always up there as favourites really yeah um, but I mean on the day you never know India or West Indies they can they can cause an upset they've got some really good exciting players and and that's what tournament cricket's about. It's on the day. Anything can happen. What would you say is your biggest achievement in sport to date? Oh. See, normally it's my 25 metre swimming badge. Because <laughs> I'm really bad at swimming, so that was massive. I think it, it will probably be the... Well, in 2009, we won the 50-over World Cup in Australia. So yeah. to win out there, that was massive. And I think really it was probably the turning point of England cricket. What about your sporting hero? now my dad is probably my hero um, oh, yeah, thanks. no that's really nice <laughs> but it, it was because I wanted to be like him but yeah. then if, if like if you want someone different it would probably be Alan Shearer have you got any female sporting um, idols I was really lucky so when I first started playing like 12 I played for a, a club in Nottingham called Frumpton we played on a cow field but there was five current England women players at the time I think having them there that was really lucky I still know some of them so like the likes of Jane Smith who played for England Nikki Shaw Kate Lowe and these people are, are people I played with as a child and didn't really probably realise how influential they were going to be on my career I guess there, there'll be a lot of youngsters now looking up to you nowadays there's so much with Chance to Shine and with the, the All-Stars and and things that ECB are bringing out there's a lot more cricket available for mm. for young girls even like boys anything and you just want people playing like the game more what advice would you give any young people who wanted to get into cricket I think the the big thing is well hopefully a school plays it mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of schools are taking rounds out and bringing cricket in but okay. it's finding your local club because loads of clubs out there will have little taste sessions even like, even if you haven't played before go down to your local club with a couple of your friends mm-hmm. and try it out because it's not a boring sport and you can do anything there's different aspects of it and mm-hmm. it is a very good social sport where you can make new friends and, and make friends for, for life really what do you think sport has, has done for you I was probably very shy and very quiet in the classroom and I wasn't the brightest person but then when I came to sport it gave me the confidence that I was actually good at something and that that's when I think it started like transferring into the classroom that my confidence came out and I wasn't as stupid as I thought I was like cricket as a as a kid there was my brother dad uncle we, we all played in the same team like my auntie even played it's a very family orientated sport and like you say friends who probably become family in the end what are you most looking forward to about the world cup the main thing is a home world cup you dream of it and I went when I was at primary school in 93 I went to actually watch England women play at Trent Bridge which is my local ground and mm-hmm. I mean I was in year three at primary school watching didn't think anything of it and now I'm actually going to get the opportunity to play in the home world cup 
Yeah, um, the England under-21s in football yeah. have won the World Cup. Do you think this is an exciting time for British sport? You just see from, even from like 2012, uh, the Olympics in London, it's just people have gone a bit crazy in, in sport and, and obviously with the, with the hockey girls doing so well, mm. it's just, you want to carry it on and now the, the boys have done something that we haven't done for so many years in football. It's an exciting time for everyone involved in sport. I think the, the more successful we can be, the more people want to get involved. Like, I remember when, even when Johnny Wilkinson kicked that kick mm. um, to win the World Cup years ago, everybody was out literally buying a rugby ball trying to do that kick. And that's what you want to do. You just want to get do as well as possible, especially now women's sport is getting on TV a bit more. Mm. And just you want you want to capture them kids, and, and literally it does come from success, really. We heard a team up um, in the next three years, there's three consecutive um, home World Cup so cricket this year mm-hmm. and I think it's hockey next year and then netball a year after Okay. so team up we've all come together three sports and trying to promote women and girls sports really so it's been actually nice to do some work with some of the hockey girls and some of the netball girls who aren't 5 foot 10 but they actually literally tower over me <laughs> but it's actually um, quite fun to, to meet the kids and give them a, that kind of a, a chance to try different sports which they probably wouldn't have tried previously Welcome back to Dunleavy Does Disney. So Hannah, what Disney are you doing this week? This week I watched Cinderella. Ooh. Indeed. <laughs> it's a princessy one. Yeah. Have you seen it before? I Oddly, I thought I had seen it before, but now having watched it, I don't think I have, because nothing in it seemed familiar, except the scene where the fairy godmother turns up and sings Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo. Because I had that as a jigsaw puzzle. You had a song as a jigsaw puzzle? Yeah, yeah, it was quite... Um, it was quite forward. <laughs> it was incredibly difficult to put together, to be honest. <laughs> Have you seen it, Jen? I think I've seen bits of it, but not really the whole thing. I feel like it's a film that I think I've seen, but I don't think I've seen, if that makes any sense. It feels very, very familiar, but I'm fairly sure I've not seen it from start to finish. Although I did have one of those Viewmaster things, and I know it's a podcast, you can't see me doing this, but I'm holding my hands up to my eyes like little binocular things, and it was a red plastic container that had a little film with various stills, and I'm pretty sure that I had the Cinderella one. Well, let me tell you now, that, I bet you, is more entertaining than actually watching Cinderella. Five stars for my Viewmaster. Yeah. So, did you like God, it? God, no. Right. No. You do feel like it maybe a little bit like you should cut it some slack because it was made in 1950 and in 1950 the answer to all a woman's problems was a man or a lobotomy. Has that changed? Um, I wanted a more definitive answer. Uh, I've, I've, got, yes. I've got nothing. Okay. I've got nothing. And there's like a whole lot of like massively sexist problems in it which obviously I'll get to. And once again, you feel like it's this thing that you're talking about and you're wondering why you're talking about, but this was 1950. But this was re-released last year as... Was uh, it? Yes, it was, as a live-action version of Cinderella. Oh, I know, is this the one? It's the one from... Um, it was, you're right. Now and, it, and it starred yeah. that well-known person. Fuck, what's her name? <laughs> the one um, from... No, the what one... I can say is, Yosra Osman, who is our film reviewer and is a smart and intelligent woman, liked the remake of the film, so I can only assume that some of the glaring problems in this version of it have been rectified. 
I'm going to assume that the answer to all the women's problems have been expanded to man, lobotomy or cat. And I'm absolutely worshipping at that altar because there'll be some noise going on and that's because there are two kittens hiring around our house at the moment. I say our house, like we all live together. Yeah. My house. And I have guests. Which she's lying, we all live together. We all live together. It's Once lovely. a week. It's just boring and it's boring because not, literally nothing happens in Cinderella. There's a plot that filled just a few scenes and nowadays films that are made for children are also made for adults so yeah. adults can sit and enjoy them and laugh. And 1950, Disney's making films for kids. Kids are idiots. Yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, you know, and as a result, you end up with this which is tedious beyond words. I mean, there's a couple of anthropomorphised mice that talk like they are either sucking helium or straining for a shit. There's a cat that chases them around. And that's basically it. It's straight up Tom and Jerry for about a good 20 minutes of it. But I know you're a Tom and Jerry fan. I am a Tom and Jerry fan. I mean, I'm like enraptured because that sounds pretty awesome. It's not even as entertaining as Tom and Jerry. It's just terrible. I asked my nephew, because I know I'm a grown-up and this is for children, and he's 10, and I asked him and he said that you... (laughs) You wouldn't think that it was possible to get that bored in a film that's barely an hour long. Okay, right. So, I know you said the plot is skeletal at best, like a shit Tom and Jerry. But what does happen? I mean, talk more about the mice. I'm I'm, I'm interested in the mice. So, Cinderella, her mum dies, her dad remarries, uh, this old bitch of a woman. So far, so Disney. Yeah. And Disney makes it very clear that the dad's not to blame for his bad love life choices. It's Uh Cinderella who's to blame because he was only doing it to help her out you know that classic excuse I did it for the kids I just got a whole new level of guilt that I didn't realise I needed I'm so sorry mum I'm sorry so the wicked stepmother and her ugly daughters because to be clear they're ugly because they're not pleasant yeah you know or is it that they're not pleasant because they're ugly the two things seem to be interwoven together they treat her like she's scum of the earth and Mm -hmm. she does their cleaning and cooking and everything and she continues to be because she's cinderella insanely chipper and she talks in one of those voices that implies that the that the speaker is smiling like the voice that tells you to go to collection point b in argos it's not like that on harringay green lanes mate what's it like on harringay green lanes fuck you (laughs) the horse she rode in on fuck you and pick up your fucking lamp and go only cost a fiver you dick Humble brag from Jenna. <laughs> I, I quite like it actually. Thanks, Argos. What's going to come and save her from this terrible life? What do you think? Um, uh, is it a lobotomy? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. A mouse with a weird voice. Uh, yeah, well, okay, you're pretty close. It's the next best thing. It's a man. Yay! Thank God for men, guys. Because nearby, unbeknown to her, there's this king with really high blood pressure. How do you know he's got high blood pressure? Because his face is purple. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah. That band across his, his upper it's arm is really throbbing, tight. Throbbing, throbbing. Not it's a Disney just, word. It's not. Well, well, it depends on his... I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he's got a son that he wants to marry off. So he decides he's going to have a big party and all of the women of the kingdom are going to come and be judged. Sure. You know, yeah. which is... Like girl idol certainly like a Tuesday night at the White House that's, that's all I'm <laughs> oh, going to say is it anything like take me out 
Does let's, he at any let's, point... Let's take me out. It's that thing with Paddy McGuinness. Yeah, it's the thing where, like, all of the women line up. Then the dude comes down... In an elevator. In a, like in a time capsule or something. <laughs> From the 1980s. <laughs> and then they ask him questions about himself. And then when he says things like, I'm a doctor... So they turn their lights off. He's an, don't I don't believe any of them are doctors, surely to well, shit. I don't know, it's possible. I don't know. They have a little video and they talk about themselves and it goes like, I'm a doctor and you just see like a ten lights go, boo! <laughs> I don't want to go out of a doctor. Who wants a doctor? What? Like, they don't have time to date. I've got a dog. Boo! <laughs> like, I, I play the piano. Boo! It's sad. I wank every Saturday to pictures of Yay! your mum's face. Lights go back on. <laughs> How are we here when we're talking about a Disney film? Good question. That is true. Paddy McGuinness, answers. Anyway... So he's having this party. Cinderella's not allowed to go because she's got some cleaning to do. Yeah. But you think things are going really bad, but like fucking hell, out of nowhere, like seriously, in the biggest Deus Ex Machina ever, the fairy godmother just like arrives and says, There's some mice, let's make them footman, there's a pumpkin, let's make it like, I don't know, a coach or something. I thought you were going to say soup. Pumpkin soup's delicious. <laughs> yeah. She carves some eyes in it, right? And they put a candle and they just sit around and have a nice night looking <laughs> at it. That's lovely. Is this yeah. filmed on Halloween? Also, yeah. doesn't she look like Angela Lansbury? She, well, she's that kind of short, compressed shape that, like, most women in Disney films are, whereby they are... When they're a, friendly. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the shape that my brown owl was, where she yeah. was approximately as wide as she was high. She's yeah. basically sort of... a circle drawn on top of a triangle. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> yeah. 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 All tits and chin. Anyway, so she turns up and she says, you can go at this party. She gives her a pair of glass slippers, which, come on now, health and safety, nightmare. It sounds impractical. So she gets all yeah. tarted up, and the rest is history. And by history, I mean positively medieval and she goes to this party and she meets the prince oh <sighs> and Mickey's got like a little smiley face on that's because I'm a like try hard romantic and really fucking <laughs> yeah. lovely but no but honestly this film is so misogynistic and I could go on about how misogynistic this film is but I'm going to try and rein it in and just talk about one thing which is Prince Charming and I know that I'm talking about women by talking about a man here which makes me part of the problem and I will punch myself in the face we will make sure that for that later yeah Yeah, absolutely we're going to be watching possibly recording stay tuned to our Instagram (laughs) but Prince Charming has got to be one of the shittest Disney characters like ever why? well because basically he's barely in it he's in two scenes and only speaks in one of them and that's only to say to Cinderella that after hanging around with her for like all evening right and having the time of his life it's forgot to occur to him to ask what her name is. Is he actually called Prince Charming? No, he's not. I mean, he's clearly rude because, I mean, why would he be called Prince Charming when he can't be bothered to ask what her name is? His name is just The Prince. Capital T, capital P. Exactly. Smiley face. Exactly. He's only been called Prince Charming retrospectively because... When, when we looked back at those wonderful manners he had and yeah. thought... Oh, charming moments in which yeah. he didn't ask it, Come on, amorphous blob with tits in front of me that I've been rubbing myself against all night. All right, Hannah, easy. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, are you keeping tra- that between us? Yeah, it's quite <laughs> a small living room. We can't help it. <laughs> okay, right, so, but this is the point. This is the creature the little girls are encouraged to dream about someone so insubstantial that he would be beaten in the personality stakes by a Japanese love pillow. 
Sounds like a good jigsaw. It was. Do you still have it? Uh, no. Did you ever complete it? <laughs> My cat knocked it off the table. We lost a bit. I pushed it out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Let's just go back and talk about the footwear. A glass slipper. I mean, yeah. I can barely stay upright in Converse. Yeah. Does she, does she not get hurt? Because she drops one of the glass slippers. Does, she does. Does she one does. of them break? Uh, one of them, no. No, she drops one. She keeps the other one. He has the one. He tours the surrounding he countryside tours. carrying the slipper yeah if he had asked her her name yeah a lot of this would have been resolved a lot quicker wouldn't absolutely. it absolutely it's a bit like the video for same girl by R. Kelly featuring Usher where they go through like a lot of shit and they think like they're going out with the same girl but actually if they'd just been like is she called Claire he'd have gone no she's called Emma oh it's a different girl it's alright <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he just, you know, oh, she's called Cinderella. Don't know that many of those. It's I'm guessing. I'm name. guessing Cinderella isn't even her name, though. No. Because if you call your kids Cinderella, like you, you've you never really got very high ambitions for them. That's a you? lifetime of servitude that you're yeah. planning for right there. Also, I would, I would hazard that there are less women called Cinderella in the vicinity than there are women with the same size feet. Yeah. To yeah. Google. Yeah. To Google. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's like literally three women at that party. Yeah. It might have been a popular name back in 1950. Cinders. <laughs> that said, I'm thinking, if he'd, like you say, if he'd asked her her name 
and the plot had been completely resolved that I would have an hour and a half of my life back and that would be brilliant next week listeners a little surprise it's going to either be Snow White or it's going to be The Little Mermaid more news as it very much happens standard issue for all women that's all for this week's podcast thanks for listening you dreamboats Join us next week when Hannah will be chatting to scientists Suze Kundu and Sophie Scott about women in STEM. Annika Harry will be sharing her thoughts on the state of LGBTQ plus rights in the UK and another Disney classic gets did by Dunleavy. Don't forget to send in any sexist news stories you think we might love hate and get thinking of some burning questions you'd like our Sarah Millican to answer. I mean, I'm keen to know who she thinks would win in a fight between a shark in a bear suit and a bear in a shark suit, but I've also had too much coffee, so it's over to you. Our music was composed and recorded by Barry Hilton, all rights reserved. Thanks to David Young, Mary Young and John Clare for their help with the stings. We have an archive full to brimming with excellent articles over at standardissuemagazine.com and Sarah's got a whole section of her website devoted to us. We also have various in-conversation events coming up and loads more of these planned across the country, not just in London, so please keep an eye on our events page which you'll find at sarahmillican.com forward slash standard hyphen issue. We'd bloody love to hear from you and you can write to us at mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com, follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK or find us on Facebook and Instagram. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes and Podomatic. Stay frosty, champs.